Thank you. Uh, now, I thought there was something. I thought I was having to talk a little bit loud. My voice is still recovering from the last two weeks, so thank you. <laughs> Anyways, what I was saying was that we were leaving the church yesterday. We'd been working on the Thanksgiving boxes uh, yesterday evening, and my voice said, what is that, Daddy? And there was a snowplow in front of our church. And I immediately looked over at Christina, and I said, are we supposed to get snow already? And she said, it's supposed to get down to close to freezing, but I don't think so. Um, I don't know if they were just practicing being up late at night. I don't know what it was, but there was definitely a snowplow out there. But it is cold. There is no snow, though, but we're glad, uh, glad for the seasons. Um, they're a blessing. Hey, will you take out your connection card? You might notice that your connection card is a little bit different. We have changed up. You know, always trying to keep you on your toes. Just when you're used to something, we want to change it just a little bit. But our connection card there, on, on, and you'll see it. So take a minute to acquaint yourself with it. It's a little bit different. We want to um, be able to, to uh, help you out. We have a number of people that say, every week almost, we have someone that says, you know what, I'd like to be a part of this church. Almost every single week. Isn't that awesome? And uh, we have people that indicate that. And they will say, you know, we want more information on church membership. And then we'll call them. They say, well, actually, I just want to transfer my membership or I've moved here from the area. So we've made that a little bit easier now. So there's a transfer box there and persons that can be transferred. And so, uh, and all the usual other things. But acquaint yourself with this new connection card. And, of course, we fill these out. And then we keep them till the end of our service when we will utilize them again. I do want to uh, welcome someone in here who did at one point... Check that box in the other card, and we connected with her, Yolanda Burias. Is she here this morning? I thought she was going to be here during first service. She is not here yet. But if you think of that, write that name down and take that name home with you and give her a call. But Yolanda is transferring here. What brought her here to this church is that she uh, got connected to our church as her daughter has been attending Spencerville Academy. And so we praise the Lord for, for her connection there. She works for uh, an orthopedics facility, uh, and we are glad that she will be joining us. But we need to take a motion on that, and also the names Kristen Dona and Nancy Rivera, who will be here in second service. Do I have um, a motion to accept those names? And all in favor? Aye, there we go. Thank you very much. One other item to note that I'd like to note about, because a number of people have asked me, including people last night, as we were working on the boxes, were having dialogue with me about it. You might have known that there was an article in a uh, online or uh, a, a journalist, somewhat we'll call that, uh, that sent uh, that wrote an article about Dr. Carson and about our church last week. And I want to say a couple things about it. First of all, I want to say that um, Ellen White and I do agree on the teaching of hell. Um, uh, she does not, she did not teach an internal hell, and nor do I. Um, and uh, the, the journalist said, Pastor Chad and the Seventh-day Adventists no longer believe in an eternal hell, which differs from Ellen White, who taught this in her, all her writings. Uh, my wife wrote me and said, what kind of nonsense is this? And I said, yes, indeed. Um, I also want to let you know that if you did read that, a number of people were concerned the headline, original headline was, Dr. Carson's church just wants him to stay away and uh, does not want him to worship there. That was the original headline. Never in the article does he quote anybody actually saying that. 
and no one actually said that. I have spoken personally with Dr. Carson. He had read the article. He said he understood completely uh, that, that journalists can take things that you say and uh, out of context. And I said, well, actually, he didn't even take anything we said out of context. He just wanted to have one of these catching titles to try to drive uh, uh, to try to drive the agenda. But I've spoken with Dr. Carson person. I said, well, we apologize. And as you're out there wandering around the world and run into Adventists who say, why is your home church treating you so badly? You can assure them that that is not the case. He sends his greetings. He sends his love. At this point in time, one of the reasons why he is staying away is he says it's a very complex process. They have assigned him secret service. And wherever he goes now, they have to do uh, checks. They do uh, background checks on everybody and, and uh to even to get in the building and, and metal detectors and all these things. So he says, for now, I am just don't want to bother you. So if I'm in town, I'm not there. That's the reason why. And so, uh, but we spoke and he, he totally understands and he has no, no hard feelings about the article. And um, we've spoken to Murray and Larone as well and to his family. And, and they're all uh, grateful as well. So those of you that have asked me about it, there's the explanation. Those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, well, now you have some afternoon reading at which to shake your head about. Maybe wait till after the Sabbath. We don't want to ruin anybody's Sabbath. The other thing I would tell you is this, is we know that people have an agenda. And if you look this gentleman up who wrote this article, a nice young man, um, he was here worshiping with us last Sabbath. We, we, we treated him well, I believe. And um, he was actually gracious to, to most of us. Uh, he said, he, he, you know, he kind of mocked me a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, that's, if you see my Facebook page and you wonder, why has Pastor Chad put up a Facebook picture with such weird hair? It's because he said I looked like I was in a boy band. And so I threw up a picture with me actually looking that way. Um, uh, but uh, if you read through his articles, he has a definite agenda to try to destroy uh, Dr. Carson using the word idiot and other things in titles, various titles that he has placed. So, so just note that. Uh, we're mindful of that, and that's the age in which we're living, and, and, uh, and we'll be sensitive to that. But I thank you for, for listening to that part. We do want to move into our, to our worship time now. We're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning, and we just pray that you'll be blessed as we continue our worship. We're continuing our series on the book of Mark. We're at the end of Mark chapter 14 today, and we pray that you'll be blessed uh, in, in one aspect of our service or maybe all of it as well. Thank you for being here. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Our offering this morning goes to the local church budget. The leaves have turned color and they have fallen to the ground. And friends of mine who are blessed with large yards have been raking diligently the entire month. Uh, here in the United States, Thanksgiving is a very important holiday. As a South African, we never, uh, we, do, we don't have Thanksgiving. And so when I came here seven years ago, uh, it was a surprise to find out that Thanksgiving in some ways almost as important as Christmas for, for uh, Americans. So it was very interesting. And I've come to uh, see that people value this holiday. They get together as family and they have a table spread with wonderful food, and that is the part that I could not resist, and therefore I also celebrate Thanksgiving now because it is a wonderful time to enjoy delicious food. However, 
there is a downside to that. And even Ellen White wrote about Thanksgiving in 1884. She said, Now a season is coming when we shall have our principles tested. Let us begin to think what we can do for God's needy ones. We can make them, through ourselves, the recipients of God's blessings. Think what widow, what orphan, what poor family you can relieve, not in a way to make a great parade about the matter, but be as a channel through which the Lord's substance shall flow as a blessing to his poor. I know that Thanksgiving can be a very family-oriented holiday, but there are many people who do not have family, the elderly or those who are alone uh, in this country, foreigners, as, as my family was when we first arrived, and were very kindly invited to somebody else's Thanksgiving dinner. And we were very blessed by that experience. So look around you and see who you can invite to your Thanksgiving table this year. Our appeal this morning is, uh, we have much to be thankful for, so let's show our thanks by being a channel of blessings, even on holidays, when some may feel especially neglected. Let us pray. Lord, as we give our offerings today, please give us one more things. Thankful hearts that will be ready to spread your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Each Sabbath morning, we come with the goal of opening our lives to God. All that has happened in the last week, all that will happen in this hour of worship, and all that will come in the week ahead. Let me invite you to join me as we kneel in prayer today. Father, we love to sing I come to the garden alone while well, the dew is still on the roses. But Father, today we remember one who 
came to the garden not alone, but whom we left alone, for whom there was no dew and no roses and no beauty. And yet we thank you, Father, more than we can say for what was accomplished for us in that garden and in the hours that followed. We thank you for the example of patient endurance that Jesus gives us in Gethsemane. We thank you for the graciousness that would sacrifice himself for all of us. We thank you for his patient endurance while we sleep, while we go about the business of our lives. In fact, he goes about the business of saving us. We bring to you today, Lord, all of the things by which we have fallen short of his ideal for our lives this week. Our sins, obvious and perhaps even unknown to us. Our conflicts with each other. Our inability or unwillingness to see the needs around us. Forgive us these, Lord, we pray. And give us a heart to be with those who suffer and wait. Give us a heart to care when others are left alone. We bring to you, Lord, the needs of our congregation, particularly those among us who are feeling alone just now, who need the assurance that someone will stay awake with them and pray. Give us that stamina, Lord, to be with those in our church family and in our community who need community just now. We bring to you, Lord, all that we are, broken, sinful, full of mistakes, and we come to glory in all that you are, holy, righteous, and graceful. Thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is time for our children's collection for our thank offering at Spencerville Adventist Academy and our children's story. So we have a couple of volunteers that would carry a basket or hold a basket this morning. I have Kim and Lynn who are almost always willing to hold a basket. And it looks like Stephen, are you coming down to hold a basket? Yes? Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, I've talked to a number of our college students this week that are really excited because they are coming home for Thanksgiving break. And then I talked to my own kids and some of the kids at our own academy who are very excited to not be going to school next week. Um, but in spite of all of those things, there's still a need for some of our tuition assistance dollars to be collected. So thank you so much for being willing to participate in that. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for our young people, for our kids, for our school, Lord. Help them to, Lord, above all else, have a better relationship with you because of it. In your name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. It's good to see so many of you here for the first service. Really quite a good-looking bunch you are. Have you ever had to do something really scary and you knew it was going to be scary before you did it? Have you had anything like that? You have? What have you had to do, Stephen? Um, my dad was begging me to go with him skydiving. Really? That would be very scary. Is that true? Wow. Yeah. But to Stephen, it's true. So, yeah. The others of you, have you had to do something and you just knew it was going to be scary or very difficult? I don't know. I hope that maybe you haven't quite had some really difficult things to do because in a way, the time for your age is not really to face those things. But sometimes adults have things that they have to do that they just know are going to be either really, really scary or really hard or both. And it's tough. What do you think you could do to prepare yourself if you knew that you were about to do something that was really hard and really scary? How do you get ready for something like that? How would you get ready if your dad had actually asked you to go skydiving? Yeah. I would pray to Jesus to help me go. Yeah, so you know, you're on to something there. And of course, because we're here in this place and, we're, and we believe in God, we believe that if we're going to be doing something really, really scary, that we can find a measure of, of support and of preparation and of comfort. It's like training. If you had to do a sport, what kinds of things do you have to do if you're going to be, say, a weightlifter, if you're going to be lifting big weights in the Olympics, which would be scary, right? What do you have? Do you just go from the couch straight to the com competition and just start lifting weights? Who says you do that? Nobody. No. What do you have to do first? Yeah. What do you do? Uh, exercise. You exercise. Yeah. You, you pick up little weights. You train. You get ready. And in a way, prayer is like that. It's kind of training for scary, difficult, and even good times, for sure. We can pray in good times. But it can be especially useful to prepare us for things that are really scary. And in the story that, we're, that uh, Pastor Chad is going to preach about this morning, he was facing something that was perhaps one of the most difficult, scary things a person could ever go through. And you'll hear about that story. And the people around him were also going to be facing some difficult things. So listen for how prayer plays a role in the, the Bible story this morning. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be in this place. Thank you for all of the safety, for the comfort that we enjoy here. We pray for those people around the world who are not uh, so privileged as we are, who are in scary situations, who are facing terror, who are facing sickness, who are facing the loss of their homes. Be with them. Give them a measure of your comfort. Bless us this morning as we worship in this place. I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may go back to your seats. Our scripture today is found in Mark 14, verses 32 through 51. I will be reading from the New International Version. Mark 14, 32 through 51. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, disciples Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John 
along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know they did not know what to say to them. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas one of the twelve appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. You may remain seated and let's join in singing hymn number 322. Uh, as our hymn of preparation this morning, Nothing Between.
Lord Jesus, that is our prayer this morning. Lord, each one of us, if no one else is beside you, is deeply aware of our struggles, our own personal challenges that we face. And Lord, this morning, we just want to hear from you. Keep the devil far from our minds as he seeks to attack us and distract us, Lord. May our focus be on you, reminding us and help us to remember what you have done for us. And may it remind us um, of the strength that we can have through you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. When I was eight years old, my dad sat my sister and I down to tell us that his mom and her husband, my step-grandfather, had been in a terrible car accident. My grandma was in the hospital, uh, and my step-grandfather had been killed immediately. My dad barely got the words out, and he began to weep. The image, I still remember the room exactly as it was that we were sitting in in Grand Terrace, California. still remember the couch we were sitting on and where the TV was located and where my sister and I were sitting, where my dad was sitting. The image is deeply burned into my memory. His face contorted, I remember my dad's face contorted and his shoulders began to heave and sobbing noises came from, from deep within him. My sister sitting to my right began to, to cry as well as we sat there. Uh, but I just sat there not knowing what to do. The, the death of my, of my step-grandfather had not re really hit me and all I could think about was my dad that my dad was sobbing like a child. I'd never in my life, eight years old, I'd never in my life seen my dad cry uh, before. This tower of a man was reduced to tears and I was, I was overwhelmed. I was caught off guard and I will never forget that day, the first time that I saw him cry. To see someone that is a pillar of strength go through agony, to go through uh, uh, suffering, to go through an unspeakable sadness can be one of the, uh, can be, a somewhat uncomfortable thing even. What do you do when, when a grown man cries? You know, when a child cries, you, you take the child into your arms and, 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 and hold them close to you and, and comfort them. When a, when a woman cries, you provide a shoulder by which she can lean on. But when I see men cry, I don't always know what to do in these moments. The emotion, and maybe it's because as a man, I know that the emotion is sometimes deeper than than words can express. And there's a, there's a palpable moment there, which is why Mark's account of Jesus, Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane, has oftentimes been referred to as scandalous by some commentators. Will you open your Bibles, Mark chapter 14, what, what our elder Donna Arnold read this morning, and I thank all of those who have been a part of the service already this morning. We've been blessed. Um, We've, of course, heard Bill preach before. I was thinking as Cheryl Lee was, was giving her uh, offering that, that we need to get her up here to preach as well one of these days. Mark chapter 14. I'm, I'm sure she has great thoughts too, but I just enjoy listening to that accent. I don't know about you all, but Mark chapter 14 and verse 32, as Donna read for us, and she was reading in NIV, which is fine. I'm in the New American Standard this morning. But Mark chapter 14 and verse 32 they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. 
And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of, of death. Remain here and keep watch. Going a little farther, go, and he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. The hour might pass him by. Here we see a part of Jesus' humanity that speaks directly to us in many ways. Here we see the one whom John refers to as the word, the word that brought forth creation, the word that, that existed for all eternity, the word that was the light and the truth, the word that was grace and mercy, the word that was salvation, the word that was and is God, the word that is a pillar of strength for all our lives. Here in this moment, we see that word, Jesus of Nazareth, weeping, the Bible says, overcome with sorrow, even to the point of death. The Greek word that Mark uses is, is the word ekantembio, ekantambio, is this, and it's a, it's a word that, that, that proclaims the strongest language that can be used to express uh, uh, the greatest degree of horror and suffering. It's one of the strongest languages that can be used for suffering in the Greek language. And, and this is what it says Jesus is going through. This pillar of strength is, is overwhelmed with sorrow such that Mark feels the need to use the word that, that, that expresses the, the most anguished experience of mankind. About six months after I'd become a Christian, I became deeply depressed. Deeply depressed. You may think that is a funny time to become depressed, but I've I become depressed because, because I was painfully aware, A, I was painfully aware of my sinfulness. Sometimes the closer we, we draw to Jesus, the more aware, I don't think sometimes, I think all the time, the, the, the more we draw near to Jesus, the more we are aware of, of, our, of our sufferings and our, and our challenges. The second reason I was under this is because I was, was spending too much time uh, worrying about the rules and not enough time focusing on what Jesus has done for me. I was still early in my Christian walk. But, 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 but I, was, I entered into that depression because of the sinfulness I saw in my own life, the struggles that I was having in my own life. There was times in that, in that time period of my life that, that I was so overcome with emotion that I would not leave my bedroom. My friends would come over to my house and and we always got together to watch Seinfeld, and they would be downstairs watching Seinfeld, and my parents would come up and say, your friends are here, and I couldn't even leave my room. I would be in my room, and I would just sit there with my Bible, or I'd be kneeling and praying, and I was overcome with emotion. There was nights I would cry myself to sleep, just thinking, am I good enough? Am I good enough? As I said, I was early in my journey. In the Gethsemane story, I see a man that understands exactly the pain and hurt I was going through with the revelation of sin. And not only did he understand my pain, but, but Jesus went beyond my pain. He says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus, our rock, is reduced to, to tears. This goes against many stories that we have of martyrs. There's many stories that we have of martyrs where, where in the face of great struggle and challenge, men and women, while they were burning, were singing songs. We, we have stories of martyrs in which they're, they're they, they, they deliver these amazing quotes of strength up to the very last. Yet Jesus, the Savior of the universe, was overcome with grief. And he prayed 
for the hour to pass from him. This was the Gethsemane of Jesus. Lord, deliver me from this hour. One of great sorrow, one of great angst, one of great struggle. But the Gethsemane of Jesus was something else as well. The Gethsemane of Jesus was also a time of great prayer. Look at verse 35. Verse 35, and he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I want us to look at a couple things in this, in this text. First of all, Mark is not overly concerned with the words of the prayer or the length of the prayer. Based on John's discourse in his account, John has a much further discourse. Even Matthew and Luke repeat Jesus' prayer several times over, reiterating the words again and again. Mark just gives us Jesus' words one time. What he does share with us, though, is profound. First of all, Jesus does not enter into this time of suffering stoically or with great formality. He doesn't enter into it with this, with this very proper, proper form. Mark tells us that Jesus fell on the ground. The language here contains, uh, conveys the idea. It describes Jesus literally lying prostrate. The word that Mark uses is, is Jesus lying prostrate on the ground. The common practice of prayer in this day was for one to stand and with, with, with face lifted up and hands lifted up to the heavens. But, but if a person was in serious distress as Jesus was, he would lie down prostrate. And Mark says that Jesus was, was before the Father, but literally he was prostrate on the ground, laying on the ground. Jesus is driven to prayer. Some of you may have been in moments like that where the grief was so great that you could not even stay on your feet, where you could not even stay on your knees and you just were a ball before the Lord crying out to him. Jesus models, though, what he taught the disciples. You remember Jesus' prayer, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Jesus is in trouble. The devil is tempting him to give up. The devil is calling him to, to, to walk away from, from this mission to save humanity. And so what does Jesus do? He prays. He prays in that moment. This was not a heat of the moment prayer either. You know those heat of the moment prayers, a prayer sent to heaven just in a, in a crisis moment that is, that is quickly forgotten. In my more wild days, I was once in a car chase I won't get into all the details of it, but let me just say that the individual that was chasing me was not intent on getting out and shaking my hand. And, uh, and I remember in this moment, cruising, uh, dashing through the, the streets of uh, Redlands, California, that uh, I said a quick prayer, God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never do these things again. I'm not saying that God doesn't at times hear and answer those prayers even. But that type of prayer is an uh-oh prayer, not a prayer of connection. This was not an uh-oh prayer for Jesus. Jesus knew how to talk to his father. He knew that he could go to him. He, he, he didn't throw it out there with a, this is my last hope before I get killed. I better see if he'll be there to answer me. Jesus knew what to pray. He knew who was listening Remember, he had talked to him many times. Some skeptics and cynics have tried to neutralize Jesus' prayer 
because they are scared that it shows insubordination, that it, that it shows weakness. Raymond Brown, though, states, however, prayers asking God to have a change of mind are not considered insubordinate, but actually exude trust that God listens to prayer and grants requests that can be reconciled with overall providence. Jesus knew this because he had been there before. Jesus had been constant in prayer. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. This wasn't a spur of the moment crisis type of prayer. Oh, I'm in crisis, so now I'm going to pray. No, Jesus was familiar with the one who he was talking to. Jesus was intimate with the Father in this moment. Mark, to help us understand this, uses the word that is not used in any of the other gospel accounts. Mark uses a word that is only used in this gospel account. He, he leaves, Mark leaves in the Aramaic term, Abba. Many modern scholars translate this word to mean daddy. Some are bothered with this translation. Some are bothered with this translation. I never remember calling my dad daddy, so I maybe just say Abba, dad. But... But some people are, 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 are bothered with this. I remember talking to my friend once, and, um, and we were talking about the song. You may have heard it, I Am a Friend of God. Uh, who, who am I that you are mindful of me? And then it says, I am a friend of God. And my friend said, I don't like that song. I said, why? Because God is, 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 is not our friend He's God, he's Lord. We're too, we're too close to God in this way. And he said, and while I'm at it, he was, he was on a roll now, he said, while I'm at it, I don't like that people call him daddy either. Well, I guess he has an issue with, uh, with the gospel of Mark then. Because Abba is this, this intimate term. This intimate term. To Mark's readers, this title would have caught their attention. This would have caught their attention when they translated. This was a term that was used that was that was used, but almost never in prayer. It was considered too intimate for prayer. Prayer was to be formal. It was too informal to address the God of the universe. But Jesus knew his father and he knew him intimately. And Mark wants us to understand that. So he calls out Abba. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane was an intimate prayer. It was a heart-wrenching prayer. It was an honest prayer. It was a loving prayer. And it was a prayer that was open to whatever God answered. Verse 36 in Mark chapter 14. And he was saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will. But what you will. Jesus was always open to the will of God. He was always open to, to the response of his Father, whatever it may be. I have to admit that prayer is hard. I know that I hear myself pray that prayer Father, whatever you will and not my will. I've heard many of you pray that prayer Lord, your will be done and not my will be done. But, but in my own mind, for my own life, I won't speak for you, I sometimes wonder how much of this is cliche that I've heard it said and how much do I really mean it? Do I really mean that? Do I really mean that I will accept poverty for Jesus? Do I really mean that I will accept absolute loneliness for Jesus? Do I really mean that I will live anywhere for Jesus, even Michigan for Jesus? I said that just because Tim Soper's sitting here in the front row. Do I really mean that I will die for Jesus? 
Not my will, but your will be done. We all pray it. Because we've seen Jesus pray it. We know it's supposed to be prayed, but do we mean it? A girl once broke up with me. I prayed that prayer for months, and I didn't mean it one time. We prayed that prayer, and we've not meant it. But Jesus, in this moment of trial and suffering, he prayed it, and he meant it, and he lived it. Not my will, but thy will be done. The will of the Father led Jesus to that cross. Jesus' Gethsemane was a time of great prayer. There were other people, though, in that garden as well. They were having their own Gethsemane experience. The Gethsemane of the disciples, however, looks far different, looks very different than the Gethsemane of Jesus. As I said before, Mark reports the contents of Jesus' prayer only once, but he reports what Jesus says to the disciples each time he returns from his prayers. His focus seems to be here on the disciples and their response. Jesus initially said to Peter, James, and John, you remember, stay here and keep watch. Jesus was not posting these men as, as lookouts, but rather he was reminding them of the last warning to them on the Mount of Olives. If you remember Mark chapter 13, in Mark chapter 13 and verse 32, the Bible tells us, no one knows the day or the what? Hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then Mark says this, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Jesus here is talking about the second coming in Mark chapter 13. But in verse 36, and then in verse 36 of Mark chapter 13, if he comes suddenly, speaking of God, do not let him find you sleeping, but I say to you, I say to everyone, this is Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 13, watch, watch. And now here again in Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus encouraging his disciples to keep watch, not as a protecting guard, not to make sure no one bothers him, but what are they to keep watch for? How do we keep watch? If we don't know the hour of the Lord's coming, if we don't know when our last day on the earth might be, if we don't know when our next crisis moment may come in our life, how do we keep watch? How do we stay connected? We don't sleep figuratively and literally when we, we, we don't sleep figuratively and literally when we should be praying. That's not the way to, to keep watch. We don't keep watch by, by coming to church and saying, well, I've done my duty. We don't keep watch simply by being a member of some church. No, every day we keep watch. Every day we stay connected. Jesus tells Peter, James, and John to keep watch, i.e., he's telling them, do what I'm doing. Pray, pray, keep watch. Yet although this was Jesus' request of his followers, his closest friends, those who have, who have walked with him for three and a half years, three times Jesus returns to them from his prayers and finds them not praying but sleeping, not watching, but yawning. The first time Jesus returns, he tells them even more directly what they need to be doing, verse 37 in Mark chapter 14. Verse 37 in Mark chapter 14. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for even one hour? Could you not keep watch for even one hour? Then he says to him, 
Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus lays it out for them. He lets them know that temptation is at their door. He's over here praying. He's feeling the temptation of the devil saying, you don't want this cup. You just walk away from your mission. Move away from it. And Jesus says, I will not. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to pray, God, deliver me. Whatever your will, I will follow. He goes back to the disciples. You're supposed to be watching. You're supposed to be praying. Temptation is coming. Watch and pray so that you can stand strong. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Yet two more times they sleep. Verse 41. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Behold, the hour has come. The hour has come. The disciples have now missed their chance to watch and pray. For the hour has come. The hour of prayer has ended for the disciples that night, and now the hour of darkness and tribulation has begun. Jesus' words to them, his last words to him, rise, let us go. These are the last words Jesus speaks directly to the disciples in the book of Mark before going to the cross. The last words he speaks to them in the book of Mark. A command to follow him. Rise, now let us go. Rise, now let us go. Come and follow me. They have been following Jesus for over three years, but now he asks them to follow him, to go with him, to journey with him as he walks to Calvary. But the thing is, is they can't go. They collapse under the pressure. What we see in the disciples' Gethsemane is a Gethsemane of failure. We see such a contrast between the Gethsemane of Jesus and the Gethsemane of the disciples. Jesus has freely accepted God's will for himself and through prayer is prepared to face whatever trial may lie ahead. By contrast, the disciples have squandered this hour. Watch and pray, Jesus said, because temptation is coming. When God said go, Jesus went. When Jesus said to the disciples, let us go, the disciples ran in the opposite direction. Jesus, Gethsemane teaches us clearly that when the time comes for going, when the time comes for following the will of the Father, only our connection, only prayer enables us to answer that call. To answer that call. Verse 50 tells us, verse 50 tells us, and they all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. Peter, who had just hours earlier told Jesus he would die for him, gone. James and John, the brothers that said they could handle anything, only if they would be allowed to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus, gone. When the hour of trial came, the only one that stood firm was the only one who had been watching and praying, preparing for the trial. Verse 51 says, a young man 
was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Seems like a very random verse in the Bible. It's a weird verse. Most scholars think it is actually John Mark, the author himself of the book of Mark, just adding a note about his own personal involvement that night. But I want to make a spiritual application here for a moment. Jesus went to the cross that night alone, but although alone, he had peace in knowing that he was doing the Father's will. He had the knowledge that his death would mean something. His death would, would save humanity. His death would give the opportunity for, for you and I, sinners, to be free from the guilt that we deserve. The disciples, however, were like the boy that fled. They were like the boy that fled. He got his... They grabbed a hold of him and he ran away buck naked through the streets of Jerusalem to his house. The disciples for the next three days, terrified, dejected, hopeless. When the disciples abandoned Jesus, in a way they abandoned everything. And for the next three days, they were naked fearful, scared, left exposed. But while the disciples were running naked in the wrong direction, Jesus was running towards the cross. While the disciples were abandoning their best friend, Jesus was embracing even those that were running from him. They did not need to watch and pray to earn their salvation. Jesus was going to take care of that on their behalf. They needed to watch and pray They needed to watch and pray because they were saved. Brothers and sisters, each one of us comes to a crisis point in our lives. Every one of us comes to to crisis points in our lives. Points when our Lord asks us to watch and pray. Points where, where we need to be reminded, pray lest ye fall into temptation. Points where we need to be reminded of the prayer of Jesus. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. Each one of us has our own personal Gethsemane in our lives. In those moments, are we going to remember our salvation? Are we going to remember to watch and pray? Or will we sleep and run? Forgetting the one that asked us to watch and pray. Jesus asked them to go to the cross with him. Jesus did not need them to go for their salvation. Jesus needed them to go because they were his friends. Jesus does not ask ask us to watch and pray for our own salvation. Jesus asks us to watch and pray because we are his friends. And he knows, if maybe now even, but at some point in the near future, all of us will be facing some major crises. Are we going to go through that cross with him? Or are we going to run naked through the shadows? Jesus' command to the disciples in Gethsemane, watch and pray. I want to invite you to pull out your connection cards at this time. You should have in your bulletin. Hopefully you filled out some of the front already. There on the left side in the box, my response to today's sermon Again, I'm appreciative of Pastor Jason for his new design on this card. My response to today's sermon was a sermon clear. It's a sermon clear. 
And then the second one, Lord, remind me to watch and pray that I may be strengthened through my trials. I would say not only, you may want to write in the word there, not only remind me to watch and pray, but Lord, give me the strength to watch and pray that I may be strengthened through my trials. Remember what Jesus said to the disciple, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to even ask God, even now, while we're not going through this crisis, Lord, give us the strength so that when we do, we'll be able to watch and pray. And then maybe you're going through something right now, that second box, please join me in praying for. There's something you're going through right now and you'd like us to be praying for you as you're going through some sort of challenge or crisis or you see something looming on the horizon. Please join me in praying for. Maybe it's something in your personal life. Maybe it's something in, in a relationship or in a work situation or financially. Maybe it's something in the world that is scaring you, that, that is challenging you. And you'd like us to join you in prayer for that. We would be happy to do that. But let us be a people that, that are in this moment, watching and praying, so that when we go into our Garden of Gethsemane, we will not abandon Jesus and run naked away, but we will be willing to go with him through that cross, through that trial, trusting in him all the way. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your example in Gethsemane. You are under a, a load of all of our sins. As Mark tells us, to the point of death, the most grievous experience in life. And yet, you could endure it because you were on your face before the Father, praying, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, sometimes we are more like those disciples that are sleeping. Lord, help us to be like you, Jesus. Give us the strength to be like you. Help us to watch and pray. We do not know the day or the hour of our crisis, but we know the hour is near. So give us strength. Keep us faithful on our knees. In your name we pray. Amen.